the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Now, uh, this evening, as Chris has said, um, I'm going to carry on from where Megan left off last week, um, because over the next kind of four weeks we're going to be thinking about these sorts of things so we've looked at one another love one another i'm doing accept one another then we're carrying one another's burdens encouraging one another and forgiving one another um those of you who last week as chris has said will have heard kind of meg kick off that and this this evening i'm going to look at this idea of accepting one another and we're going to look at romans um 14, 1 to 8, and 15, 1 to 7. So if you have a Bible, it'd be great if you could open that. Um, And I'm going to read for us that little bit now. So uh, starting at Romans 14, verse 1. Accept those whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat everything, but another person whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted that person. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master they stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some consider one day more sacred than another. Others consider every day alike. Everyone should be fully convinced in their own mind. Those who regard one day as special do so to the Lord. Those who eat meat do so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And those who abstain do so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For we do not live to ourselves alone. And we do not die to ourselves alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now we're moving to 15 verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We should do all to please our neighbour for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to to bring praise to God. So that's what we're going to be um, exploring this evening. Now, if it's okay with you, I'd like to start with a game. Um, This is going to require a little bit of movement, but I'm hoping that we can manage with the level of movement this evening. I'm going to ask you um, this or that questions. And on the screen, it will tell you to stand up for one or stay seated for another. If you're unable to stand, that's okay. You can still get involved. Um, Just pop your hand up if you should be standing up or keep your hand down if you think you should be sat down. Does everyone understand the concept of the game? Brilliant. Okay, let's start. So, sauce. Brown sauce or red sauce? Stand up for brown sauce, stay seated for red sauce. Okay. 
Oh, that's, that wasn't as divisive as I thought. Okay, next one. Marmite. Stand up if you love it. Sit down if you hate it. Yeah, come on. Okay, next one. Which is better, the north or the south? Stand up for the north, sit down for the south. There is, a, there is only one right answer, and these guys have got it. Um, okay, next one. Breakfast buddy, stand up for bacon, sit down for sausage. Yeah, it might depend on your sauce, I don't know. Okay, uh, next one. Uh, stand up if you prefer a beach holiday, stay seated if you prefer a pool kind of holiday. Oh yeah, a lot of beachy people, okay. Now this one is potentially the most controversial and divisive this, this evening. Uh, well, let's deal with the fact that it's a scone and not a scone, but stand up if you're jam first, sit down if you're cream first. There you go. Thank you, uh, thank you for participating in my game. I really appreciate it. Um, now, now, all of those were, were pretty silly, weren't they? Apart from maybe that one that's on the screen now. Um, but what if I'd have gone maybe something a bit more controversial? What if I'd have said, you don't have to stand, all is okay. Uh, what if I'd have said, in or out? What if I'd have said, Keir or Rishi? What if I'd have gone maybe kind of looking across the, ooh, across the pond and gone pro-life or, or pro-choice. Maybe the atmosphere in this room would have been slightly different. Maybe you would have been less inclined, less proud to stand by your options. In our culture today, um, acceptance is often understood as total agreement. In order to accept me, you must agree with everything I do, with everything I believe and with every choice I make. To be accepted is basically to not be challenged and to not accept someone in this way is perhaps one of the worst things we can do in our world. As such, I think sometimes we find ourselves trying to present the most acceptable versions of ourselves to one another. We might hide things or or, um, cleverly conceal opinions we think might be contentious so we don't kind of upset people or people don't think that we're unacceptable. Likewise, we might avoid particular areas of conversation or very carefully change the subject if we're wandering into something that might make us uh, not want to serve with that person anymore or be in a house group in that person anymore or, or work with that person anymore. This evening, we're looking at this word acceptance, and we're going to be thinking a lot about kind of what Paul understands it to mean. Uh, We're going to be exploring these passages that we've just read together. We're going to be thinking about what acceptance kind of looks like in the face of uh, the differences and divisions that we, we see in our world and our church today. But my prayer for us this evening um, is that as we kind of explore this call to accept one another, that we'll be both encouraged in that, but also challenged by that. That we'll all walk away with something to think about, something to reflect on when it comes to our own practice and our own attitude. And that we'll have a better understanding of what true acceptance looks like so that we can practice that better with those we're in community with, whether that's in this building or outside of it, but also share that with people that we know are desperately looking for that acceptance in their lives. 
Now, if you look um, for a definition of acceptance on the internet, you just Google it, you find that acceptance is the action of consenting to receive or undertake something offered or the process of fact of being kind of received as adequate, valid or suitable, which is quite interesting. Um, For sociologists, uh, acceptance is about taking people and things as they are without an expectation for change. I think that's really interesting. And in psychology, acceptance is about not merely grudgingly tolerating, but, but embracing that, pe- that person, that situation, that thing, fully and, and without defence. When we look at acceptance in our passages this evening, though, we see something a little bit more. In the previous chapters in Romans, like prior to this, Paul has kind of really emphasised the priority of love, which really helpfully Megan unpacked love for us last week. For Paul, though, acceptance is what it means in practice to love, to act in love. That's what he says in verse 15 of chapter 14, which I didn't read out for you. For Paul, acceptance isn't about total agreement, but rather this, total welcome. The word Paul uses in verse 1 of chapter 24 in the Greek is a word that's very difficult to pronounce called proslambano, which definitely isn't how you pronounce it, but it basically means to welcome into one's heart. It's the word Jesus uses when he's talking about welcoming people into his presence in heaven. It's that idea of bringing someone into your life, into your family, into the core of who you are. See, for Paul, acceptance isn't this pragmatic thing. It's not something that just makes life and church politics easier. Acceptance is a Christological thing. And by that, I mean it relates to the person, the nature, the purpose of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's such an important thing for us to do as disciples of Christ. But it also makes it a really beautiful and wonderful thing that that we can do to and for one another. Paul goes on to say that that we welcome others in chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, because God has welcomed them and because he died and rose to be their Lord as well as ours. That's what he goes on to say in verses 4 4 to 9. As we move into our passage this evening then, we see that this kind of understanding of acceptance is qualified by Paul. See, he's helping the church in Rome to kind of really understand what it looks like. Now, now I want to take a moment here to say that the church in Rome at this time isn't that dissimilar to our church now. In the Roman church, you have kind of these, well, what one commentator calls, not a helpful word, but conservative-minded kind of Christians, mostly Jewish, the people that want to keep things the same, yeah? And and then you have these, like, liberal-minded, mostly Gentile Christians, the people that want to see kind of progress and and change. And then you have all these people sort of in the middle of that spectrum, kind of randomly placed. This is why there are disagreements. This is why there's this struggle to accept one another. This is why Paul is kind of calling for them to, to coexist amicably in this, in this kind of Christian fellowship together. Paul writes, accept or welcome, as we've kind of just discussed, the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters. 
One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. That's what we just read. Now, this isn't about a weakness of will. That's really important, but rather a weakness of faith. John Stott writes that the weaker brother or sister isn't a vulnerable Christian easily overcome by temptation, but rather a sensitive Christian full of indecision and scruples. What the weak lack is, is not a strength of self-control, but a freedom rather of conscience. In Rome, the the weak uh, kind of Christians that, that Paul is kind of calling out are, are ex-idolaters, right? Fresh from paganism. They're ascetics, uh, denying themselves pleasure in this world in pursuit of spiritual goals. They're the legalists who are struggling to understand that they were justified and reconciled, not by vegetarianism or, or kind of teetotalism, but by grace and grace alone. Um, and, uh, and they're the Jewish Christians who are struggling to shape that sense of self-security that comes from maintaining Jewish practices and Jewish um, observations. Paul's point is to these Christians, who, who might not be getting it totally right, is that they're still welcomed into fellowship. Uh, and they're not welcomed with pity, not welcomed with judgment, not welcomed with contempt or with like aggression, but they're welcomed with love. They're welcomed with kindness. They're welcomed with a willingness for them to become part of our personal and collective life together. And the reason why? Well, God has accepted them despite their weakness. God has welcomed them despite their weakness, just as he has welcomed us despite ours. Who are we to say that they should not be afforded the very thing that has been so freely given to us? The welcome we give them, Paul is saying in this bit of chapter 14, must include respect for their opinions. Now that's really important that respect for opinions doesn't mean agreement. And that doesn't mean that they they have to match up with ours either. Michael Bird in his commentary goes as far to say that if, if one is genuinely thankful to God in what one does or does not do, and if one seeks to honour the Lord by their decision, then the rightness of their action is beyond our question. Now, personally for me, I think that potentially goes a little bit too far, but I do agree with the sentiment of what he's saying. I think what he's saying is, is what Paul says. Who are we to judge someone else's servant. As we move into chapter 15 then, we begin to see the outworking of this acceptance, this welcome. And what does it look like? Well, it looks like bearing with the failings of those who haven't got it quite right yet and doing our best to build up our brothers and sisters in what is right, even if that means sacrificing some of our freeness to do so. Paul knows how tempting it is to kind of wield our strength uh, in order to discard and crush those who are weaker than ourselves. Andrew spoke this morning, didn't he, about how important it is for those of us who have positions of of power and authority to use them in a way that is Jesus-like. That's what Paul is saying here too. See, Paul says we are to bear with one another, to, to carry each other and support one another instead. 
Rather than pleasing ourselves, rather than going about our faith as we please, because we know we can, we have to be willing to accommodate the needs and requests of others, just as Christ did for us. In his commentary um, on Romans, F.F. Bruce writes, Who was more free from taboos and inhibitions than Christ? Yet who was more careful to bear with the weaknesses of others? Christ's way is to consider others first, to consult their interests and help them in every possible way. And I think this is Paul's challenge to us. A really important thing I want to flag here um, is around this idea of pleasing our neighbour, um, which Paul calls us to do in verse 2 of chapter 15. And, and I want to flag it because pleasing our neighbour isn't the same as pleasing people, something that Paul actively campaigns against in like Corinthians and Galatians and other bits of the Bible too. In his letters, we see that Paul understands that pleasing people is about kind of compromising our integrity. It's about compromising um, our faith. It's about compromising our sincerity. Neighbour pleasing, on the other hand, though, appears to be something completely different. Neighbour pleasing is about building each other up. It's about the edification, the building up of the church as opposed to its destruction. It's about encouraging and strengthening and educating in a way that brings life to the church and to those who make up its number. In the latter part um, of those seven verses in chapter 15, we learn why we are to do this. Firstly, we do this because this is the example of Christ. Paul quotes Psalm 69 as an example of Christ's refusal to use his strength to please himself. But we read also, don't we, um, in Philippians 2, that that Christ made himself nothing in order to serve us. We do this too because it brings glory to God. In verses 5 and 6 of chapter 15, we read that Paul's prayer for the church in Rome is that they may, may become united and welcoming of each other in this way, so that with one mind and with one voice, it may glorify the one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are united together as one, it brings glory to God in a way that is worthy of him because it is only God that can unite us despite our differences. It's only God that is able to unite us despite our diversity. It is only God who is able to unite us despite the things that society say are supposed to be wedges between us. And that's because it is only God who is able to reconcile us to himself. And when we are reconciled to himself, we become Christ and all the other things that make up our identity disappear. Not disappear, but don't become as important, let's say. And because they're less important, we can be reconciled with one another. Because we know what matters. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Perhaps the most important and powerful reason, though, why we are to do this is because Christ has accepted us. Christ has welcomed us. And how can we deny others something that we have so freely and wonderfully been given? Accept one another, Paul says, just as Christ accepted you right at the end of that section in chapter 15. Right now, I want you to have a little think in your heads 
if you're a Christian here today. How Christ accepted you. I want you to think about what state you were in when you said that you wanted to do life with him. I want you to think about what flaws you had, what misconceptions you were holding on to, what things you misunderstood or you didn't understand, what things you arrogantly clung to. As you hold that in your minds, remember that that is how Christ accepted you. With all your flaws, with all your faults, with all your weaknesses. And Paul says, that's how we are to welcome. That is how we are to accept one another. In our last little bit of time together now, um, I want us to spend some time thinking about what that actually means for us today. Now, I'm going to do that from like, Paul's strong Christian kind of perspective. But I'm aware that some of us in this room may identify more with the weak Christian in what Paul is saying today. And if that's you, that's absolutely fine. Um, What I'm about to share in terms of kind of implications is still relevant, I think, because A, you're always going to be stronger than someone else, but also because we don't remain weak forever, ideally. Um, And so there are things for you to hold on to, maybe, for when you feel a little bit stronger. That said, if you are someone who feels like maybe they're full of indecision or they're struggling with that kind of idea of freedom of conscience um, that we were talking about earlier, then your challenge this evening is to work on that. Your challenge this evening is to find someone you trust, a friend, a member of your house group maybe, someone you look up to who's a Christian, um, and see if they're able to support you in that, to pray for you in that, to chat stuff through with you to work on those insecurities, because that is part of accepting one another. That's the flip side of it, yeah, of welcoming one another. And that's something that we should all be doing for each other too. I think then this passage um, is really clear about three things. You won't always agree with those that you find yourself in fellowship with. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get annoyed. But... (laughs) You still have to accept. You still have to welcome one another. So we're not always going to agree with each other. Um, I'm hoping that she won't mind me saying this, but um, you know that I live with Sarah. And um, some of you might know that, some of you might not have known that. Um, But there are lots of things that Sarah and I agree on when it comes to our faith. But I think it's fair to say there are other things that we don't agree on. Is Is that fair? That's not a bad thing. Sarah and I talk about that stuff. We discuss that stuff. That's good. That's what we should be doing. That helps us grow and develop as disciples. But what Sarah and I have to make sure we're not doing, Paul says, is quarrelling with one another over it, is fighting one another over it, is battling with one another over it, is putting down one another over it. Particularly when a lot of those things are things that are up for grabs, They're grey areas, they're disputable matters, as Paul calls it. Um, In his book, Until Unity, which is an excellent kind of companion to this topic if you want to kind of develop or or think about it a little bit more, um, Francis Chan writes this, Many Christians today view themselves as the defenders of truth. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing, if that is in fact what is going on. 
But Chan goes on to say that actually the truth that they're defending is more like um, informed opinion presented as fact. It it is more like personal or corporate theology uh, presented as kind of, or theological interpretation presented as gospel truth. And we have to be really careful with that. Because I think, and you might disagree with me, and if you do, that's fine, we can talk about it after. Um, The Bible is really clear that there is like one truth that we are to die to. And that is the truth of Jesus Christ, nothing else. Before we go uh, to fight, before we go to battle, before we go to seek to bring down another Christian over an issue, we we need to take a step back. We need to ask ourselves, why are we so sure that we are right and that person is wrong? If this isn't something that is explicitly explained through scripture, then we have to ask ourselves, do we think we have 100% correct theology? Because that's the only way we could kind of take someone down legitimately, right? Now, now you might laugh that question off in your minds a little bit, but genuinely, do you think that everything you understand about God is 100% right? Because if you do, that's a really dangerous place to be, I think. And I think that's something that maybe you need to pray about and chat about with someone else. If you don't, then you need to stand down a little bit. Because you should be, if that's true, in a place of humility, or at least a place where humility comes in. Where you recognise that you might be the one who has it wrong where you can welcome and accept the other because you're humble and gracious enough to agree to disagree, where you can pray wholeheartedly for clarity and discernment on on both sides. Now, we are a church that is full of a spectrum of positions and beliefs. And in my experience of being in this church, Um, I think we're pretty good, actually, at accepting uh, one another despite that. But if I look at the church wider in Exeter, if I look at the church in the UK as a whole, if I look at the church globally, I don't think I see that as much. I think sometimes we can actually be quite happy, quite comfortable, quarrelling over disputable matters, Because it feeds our pride, feeds our self-righteousness. But I'm not sure it's doing wonders for the Lord's work in this world. Because Paul tells us that that God is glorified in self-giving unity, not through self-righteous division. Secondly, um, if the church is a family, which we're told it is, We know, don't we, that we're going to get frustrated and fed up with one another. Um, My brother is nearly three years younger than me, uh, and uh, he's left-handed. That's important for the story. And um, it took him a really, really, really long time to learn to tie his shoelaces. Um, He was about 11, like going to secondary school when he he learned to do it. Uh, And every morning, as we kind of set off for school, um, I would have to bend down... Um, and show my brother um, how to tie his shoelaces because he couldn't do it. 
And I had to do that over and over and over again. And it was frustrating and it was annoying. But in that particular area of life, I was stronger. So I had to bear with his weakness until he was able to do it on his own. If you know that your faith is stronger than those you are in relationship with, in that moment, you just have to deal with um, the weaknesses of others. You have to be able to accommodate their needs and continue to, to encourage them, however frustrating and futile it may feel like it is. Because actually, that's what it looks like to be Christ-like. That's, that's, that's Paul's point in, in chapter 15. You, you take the hit for the sake of the church, you take the hit for the sake of the gospel, and you take the hit for the sake of Jesus, because Jesus took the hit for you. That's what Andrew reminded us of this morning. Again, Chan writes, In the church we divide easily because we love shallowly. When we fail to accept to welcome one another, it demonstrates that the love that we're supposed to have for one another isn't able to take being inconvenienced, it isn't able to take being put out, isn't able to take having to do something we don't feel like we need to do. Isn't that awful? Isn't that embarrassing for for a group of people who are supposed to be modelling Christ's love to the world? When we, as the church, can't can't follow the examples of the one we're supposed to be modelling? John Stott writes that we should be determined in our attitude towards others by determining what, what God's attitude towards them is. He says that it's safe to treat others as we would like to be them to treat us, but it's safer still to treat them as God does. He argues Jesus realised how hard that would be for us in our fallen self-centeredness and so stuck with love your neighbour instead. Despite all that, though, we still have to find ways to accept, to welcome one another. And Stott again reminds us that Paul doesn't insist that, that everyone agrees with him. On matters the Bible clearly doesn't kind of pronounce, issues of, uh, where the Bible is kind of silent or, or seemingly ambiguous, we need to be able to handle them in such a way that, that prevents them from disrupting Christian fellowship. And I think this is key, but, but how we do that is difficult. One of the things I think we have to be is mature enough and secure enough to accept that others will not have exactly the same theology as we do. We all come from different backgrounds. We all have different life experiences. We've all grown up and been exposed to different things. And all this shapes how we understand and interpret the Bible. And that's actually okay. Just because, I don't know, Nigel believes that women shouldn't preach doesn't mean it's wrong if I do. That said, we have to be open enough to to engage genuinely and humbly with the thoughts and theologies of others. During my degree, I read all sorts of stuff from all sorts of people. Some of it I agreed with, a lot of it I didn't, but it did help me kind of see things from a different perspective and it made me reflect on on why I thought it was wrong and where that had come from and if that was right. And none of that is bad stuff. We also have to know what is up for discussion, what things are disputable and what things aren't. Um, I don't know if you can see that. Oh, you can see it much better over there. Okay, that's fine. As a church in Belmont, we hold to the the Evangelical Alliance's kind of basis of faith. These are basically this church's non-negotiables, yeah? But but with the other things, there has to be some recognition and understanding that that 
People can be welcomed even if they don't come down on the same side of other stuff that we do. That doesn't mean we don't challenge. It doesn't mean that we don't question. But it does mean we we don't refuse someone fellowship, acceptance, welcome, because they believe veganism is God's intention for us and, and I happen to like a steak on a Saturday. Off the back of that then, grace and humility is key too. Recognising that we might not be right um, and offering grace to those we think might have got it wrong. Chan again asks, how do we determine who our brothers and sisters are, who who is a fellow member in the church of God? Well, we ask, are they indwelt with the spirit of God or not? That's literally all it takes to be accepted by Jesus And there's no reason why our bar should be any greater than his. It is really hard, though. (laughs) It's not going to come naturally to us. And we need to put the work in because it kind of goes against our nature. It goes against our culture in in so many ways to do this. We need to make sure that that we don't overreact uh, and, and, and remember our own failings. We need to keep loving those we disagree with, properly and consciously loving those we disagree with. And pay attention to the right things rather than the kind of grey things. Don't quit, Chan says. Focus on Jesus and believe it gets better. Because it does. Because one day we're going to be with him and all that other stuff won't matter anymore. And just think how powerful, how different the church would be if we could move away from all these public battles that we seem to be having. And and instead be publicly united in Christ. Christ. That's not to say that those things are important, but to be able to go, do you know what? I don't necessarily agree with that thing, but we can still worship together. We can still work together. We can still build kingdom together. We can still welcome and accept one another because we recognise that Christ has done that first for us. Let me pray for us uh, and then I'll hand back over to Chris. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what it um, has to say to us um, every day, but particularly this evening. Lord, help us to be people that accept one another, that welcome one another. Lord, if there are areas of our life where maybe we need a little bit more humility, we ask that you give that to us. Lord, if there are areas of our life where maybe we need to think a bit more broadly, we ask that you help us to do that in a way that, that is good and in a way that is safe. Lord, we thank you for um, the fact that you accept us however we come, Um, and we pray that you'll help us to do the same to others. Amen.